we've invited our speaker from yesterday, uh, from our men's breakfast, Pastor Joel and uh, Sharon are with us today, and they have been Assemblies of God pastors for about the last 37 years, so better part of four decades, uh, pastored in Montana, and uh, also, uh, let's see, we've got Arizona in there, most recently they were, uh, he was a VP uh, for Southwestern Assemblies of God University, the Phoenix branch, and now they, they've taken on this project uh, over in Oneida, Wisconsin, revitalizing a church, and we just believe that God is going to do some great things, and, and I believe that God's going to speak some, some powerful words of truth to you today uh, through Pastor Joel. In our house, we, we call him Uncle Joel, and uh, but just such a blessing. You can call him Uncle Joel, too. It, it, I think you'll respond to what Grandpa Joel, uh, you know, all those different things, but would you give a warm welcome to Pastor Joel Cornelius? Well, thank you, Pastor Ben. Look at the person next to you and say, you look sexy this morning. <laughs> By faith. <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Joel Cornelius. I'm Ron's little brother and Angie's uncle. Um, known her her whole life. And, and of course, ben, Ben's uncle now by marriage. And uh, my wife and I, we've been married for uh, going to be 40 years in January, and uh, yeah, I, I heard a, a man was talking to some people in his church, and he had a particular, matter of fact, the pastor was asking uh, some couples how long they had been married, and most of them had been 30, 40, 50, 60, and he asked the one that had been married 60 years, said, what's your secret? How do you guys, how do you do it? What, how did you get there? I mean, that's, I, I want to know, and he and they both said it almost in stereo. They said it together. They said, survival. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> but uh, obviously marriage is not a battle of attrition. It is, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And, and so my wife and I, we've been married for a long time. My wife is Navajo all the way from Shiprock, New Mexico. And, of course, I'm an Oneida Indian. And we're, uh, Ron and I are part Cree. We're part from the Sisseton Sioux Tribe and some uh, Siksika from the uh, Black Beef Confederacy. And then, and then really, actually, Ron's more Indian than I am. We did our blood thing. And so Ron's more Indian than me. That really bothers me, you know. <laughs> so, but, uh, but like about 2%, I think. Uh, but anyways, that's kind of, that's who I am. We've been doing this for a, a quite a while, 37 years, two years break at, at the Bible College. We enjoyed uh, working in, in student development for a little while. But my heart has been a pastor. I don't, it's not a job. It's a calling. And uh, so I couldn't get away from that. I just missed it so much. And uh, it kind of was a full circle thing. Uh, years and years ago as we rolled into Phoenix and we were, we, I actually used to play football in college and God got a hold of me and Sharon. Sharon was a volleyball player. And um, God turned our lives completely a 180. And so I was going into Phoenix, and, and we chose this little tiny Bible school because it had nothing. Matter of fact, the sale pitch, I was actually supposed to go to Trinity and continue to play football there, and I was, my prayer was, God, you'll show me what you want me to do. And so uh, while I'm making all these plans and packing, uh, Sharon's nephew is at the house, and he starts talking, about, talking to me about this school, this Bible college in Phoenix that was kind of had a, um, a niche that it was aiming toward reaching Native people. Well, I didn't really even consider it. I just thought, oh, okay. And then he said, you need to go. And I said, okay, so tell me why I need to go there. And he said, because, he said, we've got 
uh, the student-to-teacher ratio is really good. And I, and I said, well, okay. I said, Manford, what do you got? Do you guys got have any basketball? He said, no, we got no basketball. Oh. Track? No, no track. Volleyball? No, ba no volleyball. You have football? No football. Dude, what do you guys got? And he said, God. <laughs> I'm serious. I, 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 that just hit me, and I thought, I couldn't shake it. I, I stood up at night, and I thought, Lord, you know, my whole life, it seems like I've always been putting you second to what I want. And so, Lord, I'm going to go there if you're in it. And the Lord made a way, and we went down there, and Sharon and I, we, when we got to Phoenix, it was like 118 degrees. Anybody who's lived there, been there in the middle of summer, that's as close to H-E double hockey sticks as one you be, and it is hot. It is hot there. And, you know, we grow, I'm, grow, you know, Montana, she's New Mexico. We get there, and I am melting. We're melting like popsicles and, and getting irritated with each other in the process. And so we thought, well, we, we need to pray because we're stressing. So we started to pray. And in the midst of this prayer, a prayer kind of originated not really from here cognitively, but something from here. And I began to ask God for some things that I would never have thought to ask him for. One, I, I asked the Lord if I could go to Mexico and do ministry among the Mexicans. I got to do that. I've been, been fortunate and blessed to go to Mexico on numerous occasions and lead teams going in there. It was wonderful. And get to know the Hispanic people just south of us. And, and then I asked the Lord if I could go to my mother's reservation, if I could go there and pastor. Because I'd made this promise to my grandpa when we put his body in the ground and my grandpa was a tribal council leader and part of the council, and, I, and I, he always had a heart for young people. And so I said, God, I'd love to come here one day and, and pastor among my mother's people. And that was the first seat lead, lead pastorate I had was in Rocky Boy, Montana. Then the last thing I said is, I, I said, or, and I said, God, you know, my father is Oneida, and I would love to one day be there and go there and, and, and be the pastor of this, you know, if there's a church, Lord, I'd love to go there. And and they kind of just left it alone, and, and there were other things, and, and God fulfilled every single one of those things. Well, last year, about this time, I started just sense something was moving again. Not, not, you know, it's always moving, but you know what I mean? Just, just something stirring would be the right word in my heart. And um, I started feeling like, you know, I don't know that I'm going to be here more than a year at the school anymore. I just believe something's going to change, and... Probably in October, I think I talked to the superintendent, talked to different friends, different people, and I was just sharing them sideways. You know, I just don't see myself here much longer. I don't know what God's doing, but I sense a change is coming. And sure enough, the church in Oneida, where my dad's from, calls me. The pastor had been there a long, long time, 48 years, and I assumed he was just his contingent, his kind of his, his exit strategy was to die in the pulpit. That was his dream. And, and, and so I thought, well, Jesus is either going to come or Lonnie's going to die in the pulpit, one or the other, but he's going to stay there forever. And last I talked to him, he was like 80-some years old. And I said, Lonnie, how you doing? He said, I'm feeling great. I can keep going another 20 years. So I just, you know, never, ever thought to think about it. And then Lonnie ends up resigning. And the church called me, and they said, would you be interested in coming? And I thought, well, that's, the, yeah, the word, the optimal word is interested. I'm interested. But I don't know. So my wife and I started, you know, praying about it. They flew me up there in the middle of January to go preach in Oneida, Wisconsin, Green Bay. And that's like, that's not, yay. <laughs> Any Packer fans in this house, it feels like I'm faced with Vikings and they're angry with me. But just, you know, 
I bring offerings of cheese, eh? So, so, so anyways, you know, uh, we go there. We were walking around in the middle of winter, and, and both Sharon and I felt at some point we would probably be here, but we didn't know. And I certainly didn't want to be that pastor that said, God told me I'm going to be your pastor. I thought that's kind of, you know, pretty, uh, pretty forward to say that kind of stuff, especially when God's in the middle of this stuff. And, and sure enough, it would happen. They would have other people that were there. They said, we're not going to vote on them. We just want to vote on you. Is that okay? And so then they voted on Sharon and I. And before the year's over here, we've been there now for two months. And we arrived in Green Bay. I've never eaten more cheese in my life. And brats, <laughs> and I feel like the, the, we're, we're, we, we move there at this stage in my life. I'm almost 60 years old. I'm an old, well, not the oldest guy in this room, but I'm an old guy to some of you. And I'm, I'm a senior citizen now. I'm at, I'm at the tail end of that train, but I'm there. And I'm, I, I, every time I can get discounts, I'm, I'm, I'm there, man. I'm, I'm there. And uh, anything that free, it comes to me free at this age, I live long enough, give it to me. <laughs> and, and so that's been kind of my, my philosophy about this stuff. But God has sent us there, and, and the reality was that the church began to age with pastor. And so a lot of folks began to leave, and young families began to leave, and uh, we, we saw that there was a huge, huge, uh, a big challenge. And, but her, Sharon and I are really energized by the challenge. We're not discouraged by it. Uh, we realize, God, there's something you're going to do, and, and I believe that, this, that you're going to do something here and now. Well, the, Oneida, the Oneida Indians that are living in Wisconsin, actually, our homeland is from New York, upstate New York, right near um, Aquasasne, or actually near uh, Montreal area, and, and then near um, um, Niagara Falls. And so that's kind of the, where we're originally from. But uh, the, the Oneidas that live in Wisconsin, there were 87 families that got saved in the Great Awakening. They moved to Wisconsin with the belief that God had a place for them. And so they went there. They had real poverty for a lot of years and sold a lot of their property to the state of Wisconsin, the city of Green Bay. In the middle, middle 80s, they um, kind of saw that there might be an opportunity for economic, um, you know, an, an economic revenue stream for the tribe. And so they uh, built a casino right across from the main um, airport flying into Green Bay. And that became a real blessing. They took that money and invested it into all these programs for seniors and for land acquisition. And so now the Oneida tribes own, owns almost all of Western West Green Bay, a big uh, part of the Green Bay Packers, and, and have just land holdings and different things wherever. And God has blessed the tribe, but here's the deal, that after all those years, those people, the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of those people went there have forgotten God. And so there's a huge, there's, there's material blessings. I was telling my brother Ron that, that where him and my, my, uh, sis, my sister-in-law Charlene live, that's exactly how everybody lives there. You don't see the markers of alcoholism and, and drug abuse and all those things. They are there just like they're here and anywhere else. But you don't see them as visibly. What you do see is prosperity everywhere, but spiritually people need God. And so what I'm believing God for is God to awaken all those things and to remind the people of what happened and why their ancestors brought them there, that God would awaken the whole tribe. I'm not asking for a few. I'm believing God for the whole tribe there in Oneida. And I know that God can do it. In Psalm 2, he says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance for you. That might seem big to you, but I, you know what, I'm, why not ask big? Because God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we'd ever ask 
or imagine. I just believe God can still do those things. And so that's just how I believe. Now, and I, would, I, I just think, well, yes, that's a place to clap our hands. That's a good thing. Amen point. Because we've, we've got to begin to realize that God is so willing to do things in our lives. we just got to give him the room and the opportunity. And so we went there, and we have this huge, uh, not a huge building. It's this very small building. But we have very little ministry space, and we have this uh, uh, fellowship hall that's just filled with asbestos all over the place. And I, we just shut it down. Sharon and I said, you know, we can't do it in here. We need to raise money. We need to get this floor covered, abated, do the whole thing so we can use this space so we can reach men and young people and, and women and begin to do ministry here on Sundays so we can begin to grow again. The church has already grown. We've already doubled in size. We're, we've actually been hitting numbers they've never hit in their whole history. God's been filling the house new people every day. We're walking around in the city meeting people and everybody's hearts are wide open. I believe God is going to do something great. And so, you know, Pastor Ben gave me the opportunity to share that. And I just wanted to let you know that, uh, you know, I just pray for Sharon and I. Uh, pray that God would help us in this whole thing because I just believe that God is going to do something really, really amazing. Well, look at the person next to you and say, this guy doesn't sound anything like Ron. I would like you in your Bibles for the next few moments, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter number one. I want to speak to you for a little while on the thought, the prophet of the 13th year. Jeremiah chapter number one, and then put your finger there, and, and Jeremiah 8 and verse 20. And the Bible says, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. To whom the, Lord, the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20, it's probably one of the most... Um, challenging verses in scripture because it really reflects missed opportunity verse 20 he says the harvest is ended and the summer is ended or the harvest is past the summer is ended and we are not saved heavenly father i thank you for this morning i thank you god for the privilege to stand before your people I thank you, Lord, for those that have labored here over the years, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, most recently for Pastor Gary and his beloved family, and now for Ben stepping into this role. There are those in this room who can remember years gone by. Help us, Lord, this morning to remember you. Help us to hear your voice and that somehow through it all, Lord, that people will just lose sight of me and they'll just hear the voice within the voice. And the God, you'll move within our hearts today that Jesus, you will be glorified and you'll crown this morning, Lord God, with your love and your spirit. Help us, Father, today and help me to speak, Lord. And give us ears to hear what you're saying Make it personal today, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.
I think the last few years in the country have been, in my lifetime, some of the most challenging things that I can remember. I pastored in what was at one time when the pandemic arose, I was pastoring in a place called Tuba City. It's not that far from Flagstaff and not that far from the Grand Canyon by way of a bird crow's flying. It was a beautiful area. We saw the church grow from, you know, 80-some people to 250 people in a short time. We were, we were going out and doing missions work in Africa. We were planning to go to Cuba and, and, uh, and uh, the Philippines and do some reconnaissance stuff and just begin to do it. Our people were excited, and then we all got shut down. Uh, the COVID virus hit us probably worse than more places in the country per capita. Matter of fact, Navajo Nation was number number one at two different times. Where I lived in the property, we would hear helicopters flying over us all the time. Whenever time those flew over, you knew that somebody was in dire in a dire situation, and many times they died. I think one of the hardest days I had as a pastor is I had to do three funerals in one day. And I went out to that funeral, and we couldn't, and, I, and it broke my heart as they restricted family from seeing family members. And, and the media began to paint this weird picture, and, and fear was so palpable everywhere. Anybody began to cough, we felt like that was the, the death bell was striking. Very literally, it was, it, was, it was horrible. It changed everything. And I remember before it happened, as it broke out in China, we were getting those news feeds and it was in ticker numbers, it seemed like daily, but we saw that happen in China as they were locking people in their homes and, and, and putting boards outside their doors. And you were seeing, showing people drop in the streets. And I remember telling my wife, it was just before, and I thought, man, that thing's going to come here. You can't keep that over there because the world is connected. It's just a reality. And then it broke out in, in, in a cruise ship outside of Los Angeles, and, and it was, we began to see the same types of things. And then it broke out in Kirtland outside of Seattle and, 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 and in a nursing home. And then next thing you know, it's on the Navajo Nation. It just went like wildfire. And I remember sitting with my board that particular Monday. We were having a meeting. And I said, guys, I'm going to shut us down. And they said, what? And they said, I, I have to. I can't guarantee anybody's not going to shake their head. I can't guarantee you anything that nobody would get stuff, that no one would get hurt. And honestly, because we don't know anything about it yet, I do not want to be guilty of anybody dying in this church because of what we don't know. I have to shut it down. And so we did, and, 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 and then, that, then, we, then the Navajo Nation shut us down, and for almost three years we were having to wear masks. We couldn't meet with each other. It was horrible, and the churches suffered. Over 270 pastors died on the reservation. Everywhere it was there. What a terrible thing, and, and it, the world that we live in has changed drastically in such a short time. Many of you in the room whose hair is graying and thinning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's changed. The world is not the same. Now we have men who are anatomically men, yet feel and believe in their hearts that their women are given rights to push their beliefs on children. We see it with, with, with 
uh, public school systems in Virginia and on and on it goes around the country are now allowing transvestite men to come in and teach our children and to say anything about it and we're labeled wrong and hateful. What's going on? Education systems in elementary schools and, and boards and colleges are, are failing us. We see it in the music awards, the academy awards, and television. Same-sex relationships are normalized and have become, and have been for the last 20-some years, decades. Every single Disney show now that comes out has somehow brought that into our view. Have you noticed that? When I was at the school talking to some students this last year, and I was talking to them about this thing, and I said, you know, that's not right. You didn't realize, that some of them had no clue it wasn't that, it wasn't that the Bible even forbid that. It's crazy. Things are changing. A young woman named Riley Gaines from the University of Kentucky, just a recent graduate, decorated All-American Olympic swimmer, swims, and she'd been swimming with, uh, and ends up getting beat or tied with a man, a man who now goes by the name Leah Thomas. He decided he's a woman, six foot four, over 200 some pounds. He ties her in this thing, in this particular race, and, and so they go on to give the award to him for optics sake, so that the world can celebrate now this, this change that's coming. media has weaponized empathy against the church because we all want to be loving and kind and concerned we want to be considered that way and so now we have to use words like acceptance and and all these things are now the byword and you're seeing pastors everywhere now bowing to this thing that this is what we need to do and so we're considered unloving to disagree with somebody those are hate words now i don't feel safe in this space anymore just to disagree. Our world is changing. We're being pounded by the media, talking points, day after day after day. And so our belief systems are changing in this country. What's happening in America? History is being retold by revisionists to make it sound different Denying certain events took place in retelling history in their own words to reshape world view. Why do you think they want to remove every single statue? Just recently, in the last few weeks, Target was selling clothing designed for Satanists and saying, we love children. We want to change them. Our our beloved Chick-fil-A is already bent to this thing. And the woke ideology is, is, is infiltrating everywhere around us. And, and it's almost as if the church doesn't know what to do like a deer in the headlights in many places. Did you realize that one of the scariest things Jesus said, his disciples were talking in Matthew 24, and they said, Lord, tell us what will the sign be or the sign be when you come again. And and Jesus starts by saying, describing this particular time in history, by saying, take heed unto yourself that you're not deceived. Deception everywhere. I want to just give you some thoughts about that. It's interesting. I just was jotting some things down concerning deception. 
Deception is the most glaring sign that we have come to the end of the age. And the word deception, literally, is, it kind of is a word picture. It talks about animals that go so far that they can't find their way home. People veering from the path. We're in an age of lunacy, delusional thinking, reprobate thinking. Minds that have become so bombarded with false ideas that they're changing. Paul said it concerning this day, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, boastful pride, we know that. But he's basically describing people changed. Have you noticed that? People are changed. It's not the same. It's been said that if you say something long enough and loud enough, then it becomes accepted as true. Our media and government have turned to vehemently oppose views that disagree with the narrative that they're pushing. To question it is to be called hateful. Conspiracy theorists. Whatever happened to critical thinking? Whatever happened to getting a second opinion? It's crazy. Shoot him down. Right wing. Trump lover. And dangerous. Just because you don't follow lock step. Daily in the news, we're being bombarded with border crisis, national debt that is teetering on, on, on the brink, and uncontrolled spending from our government, crime growing, unrest everywhere, political wars based on power grabs. And all in the middle of it, you have people desperate for things to go back to normal. Oh God, just let it go back to normal. Are you like me? I, I, I've, I just moved from Phoenix and man, I saw it everywhere. Everywhere we turned. It was horrible. Homeless everywhere, everywhere. And people driving by like they're non-existent. Jesus would say the hearts of many would grow cold because iniquity would abound. And, of course, the word love he's talking about is agape, which you only find in God and find among God's people. So he said there's this, this deep freeze that begins to come over the hearts of God's people. They pull their feet in now. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm so tired of it all that we just want to just take me away from this. Inoculate me. Keep me separate from this. I just want to love God and serve God. And so we draw lines in the sand. All the while, the world is desperate for Jesus. Desperate for the Lord. It sounds, almost seems like the wheels are coming off the American dream. An anti-white movement is being pushed that is wanting to reshape biblical Christianity. I don't get it. Did you know that 50% of all Americans now believe there is no God? 
recent study among the Baptist convention is the average person who attends their church prays one minute a day. Tell me how we're going to be strong and know the will of God in one minute. How are we going to know God and our life be shaped and our minds be biblically sound in the, in, in the word of God? How are we going to be there with only one minute a day? Gallup polls give a record low. 20% of all Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God. 49% of people sitting in church say the word of God's inspired, but you can't really take it to heart. Jeremiah begins prophesying during the time of a boy named Josiah. Let me give you the background to Josiah. Josiah is a son of a horrible father. His dad was ungodly. His dad was terrible. But Josiah is a young boy. God would raise him up, and he becomes a king of a nation at eight years of age. Man, the only eight-year-old eight kids I know are playing Fortnite. <laughs> They're not leading nations. Imagine the weight this little boy has on his shoulders. But instead of Josiah during all of his days, and he lives to only be 39 years of age, he dies at 39. But during his days, the Bible says of him that there's never been a person since David who served God and loved God with all of his heart, with everything in him. Do you realize our time on earth, we're leaving a legacy behind? That you and I will be remembered for something. How we lived and what we lived for. I've been saying this about myself, and I've been challenging believers everywhere. Do you want to be successful? Do you want to live a successful life, or do you want to live a life of significance? Because a life of significance goes beyond the borders of success, and now it's a life that changes the course of history. It can help people everywhere. I believe God has called the church not to success, but to significance, that we'd follow the one who walked with sandals, who died on a cross, and live a life like he lived. Hallelujah, that'll change the world. That we regain, we regain the vision of what Jesus lived for. And we follow in his footsteps and we no longer make the great commission the great omission. But instead we make the great commission my mission. And I'm going to live now for Jesus with all my heart. And let me talk to some of you. And I love you with everything. I don't know you, but I love you. But just because our hair is getting gray doesn't mean we coast in. Do you realize the only way you can coast is when you're going downhill? Moses lived for Jesus all of his days while he had breath in his lungs. Until God took him home, the Bible says his eyes were still keen. His strength was still there. The vigor was there. You want to know why he still lived like that? Because he had vision in his heart. And when we lose vision, we lose the strength to keep living. Oh God, bring vision back to the church again. Cause us to remember, Lord God, those things that you said in your word. Help us to remember, God, that you're powerful and mighty. Josiah will serve God all of his days. I want you to write this down. This is a very important thought. I believe it says so much about him. Is that just regardless of our environment, regardless of the home we grew up in, we can exercise self-determination. We don't have to turn out the way our mothers and fathers lived if they didn't do right.
we do not have to make it an excuse saying, well, I grew up in this place. There's people who say, all natives are all drunks. I'm going to tell you something. No, they're not. I'm standing proof right here. They're not all alcoholics. That God can change native lives. He can turn them around. He can turn anybody around. Hallelujah. I still believe in a God who works miracles, who can turn everybody around. Somebody say amen. Give the next person a high five around you. <laughs> Hallelujah. God can change it. He can change people. Our world is filled with stories of people whose lives have been transformed by the man from Galilee. He's still the same. He still can change people's lives, and Josiah will live his days like that. Josiah will break from those who are around him and the patterns of his family of origin. And he'll choose not to be conformed, but to be transformed. Matter of fact, how this happens in Josiah's life, there's a man, a priest named Hilkiah. Everybody say Hilkiah. He's the father of Jeremiah. And Hilkiah goes into the house of God. He's been tasked with cleaning up the house because all this debris had cluttered there. They'd, it had been unused. The house of God was just kind of left to itself. And so him and the rest of the priests, they go and they start cleaning. And while they're cleaning the house of God, you wouldn't believe what they find. The book. And Hilkiah reads it. And then gives it to Shaphan and said, I think you need to give this to the king. This is important. And Shaphan gives the book. He takes the book from Hilkiah. And he says, King, I, this is what was found in the, in the house. Do you want me to read it to you? And he said, yes, read it to me. And Shaphan begins to read the words in the book. And when Jeremiah hears the words in the book, his heart is made alive. And he tears his garments and says, what do I need to do? Oh, my God, we're in trouble. And now his eyes have been opened. He sees something he never saw before. And he leads them into national reform. He uses life to change a nation. Here's the issue. It wasn't deep enough. They made changes, but they were only surface changes. You ever, you ever done that before? You ever been like, you're, you know, we behave when the police are around. <laughs> but then when they're gone, we just kind of go back. Or As long as mom and dad are home, we do the right thing, say the right thing. I was raised Catholic. I, you know, I knew how to polish up my halo. <laughs> and then when everybody went around, the, 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 the pitchfork came out. And, the, and <laughs> yeah, we all do that. And that's what they did. While Josiah was leader, they went ahead and followed, but it wasn't in their heart. And when he died, they went right back to what they wanted. And now comes Jeremiah. And the Lord speaks to this man. And this prophet will be considered public enemy number one because he doesn't say what everybody, else, what everybody else is saying. He sees something. There's cracks in the armor. It's coming. They throw him in a pit one time. They beat him over and over again. He'll get so discouraged, he'll say, I don't want to preach no more. God, I'm done. I'm done. And then he'll say, but your word's like a fire in my heart. I can't stop. He's known as a weeping prophet because he weeps every time he preaches. Because he sees what the normal eye doesn't see. 
And then we get to this word that I'm going to finish on. He's seen they've gone beyond the point of return. And I thank God for his grace, I do. But do you realize there's a moment where we grace ends and we go beyond? Let me give you an example. A friend of mine in Bible school, he played in a basketball team with me. He's an amazing, good point guard. Good, got fast. He got distracted by a beautiful girl, loved her, fell in love with her, and they just, they just man, they got serious quickly, too quick. Before you know it, they're leaving campus. He stayed out late nights, not coming back, and he knew it was coming, and so they just decided to just disenroll. They just withdrew, Live, started living together. And then he starts trying to make money because he's got now a little family he's trying to support. And he goes back to the things he used to do before he ever knew Jesus. He starts selling drugs. At first he told himself, I'll just this one time, but that one time became another time and another time and another time. I saw him a few times. I say, man, you know, you got to stop, bud. You know, this is dangerous. I love you, but you, you can't. He said, I know, I know, Joel. He knew he needed to stop. He was sitting in the back of a ruin of church one night, the last, the night before. A guy named Doby Weasel, my friend, was preaching. In the middle of his sermon, Travis is sitting right in the back. He'd been telling himself he needed to stop, but just one more, just one more time, I'm going to do this. And Doby walked up the platform, walked all the way to the back of the church. He made his way all the way back to where Travis was sitting. And he got down on his knee and he said, please, Travis, I don't know, man, but you got to give it to God right now. You need to, let's go up there, let's pray. Please, I'm begging you. Travis started sobbing hard. And he said, come on, we'll walk together. And he grabbed him by his hand and they began to walk down that long aisle together. They made it about halfway through and Travis shook it off and he said, I can't do this. And he ran out the building in the dark. His brother Vince ran after him and he said, Travis, what's wrong, man? You got to pray. You do, do it now. And he, he said, Vince, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I just one more, this last run. And then I'm done. I'm turning it all around. I'll give it to God. So he ran all the way down to San Diego, grabbed the drugs, ran into Tijuana, did the drug run, came back. On his way back home, he fell asleep at the wheel and drove off one of those into the deep ravines outside of San Diego. San Diego, and he died on the bottom. There's a lot of people who tell themselves, one more day with the frogs. Ah, one more time, I'll give my heart to God. I'll get it right. I know I need to. There's Christians that know they need to get stuff right, but you keep kicking the can down the road, procrastinating another day, another day, another day. It may not be another day. There may not be another time like now. This may be the most optimal time in your life right now. We just don't know if there's anything we learn from the pandemic is tomorrow's not promised to anybody. It just isn't. But we delude ourselves into believing that it is. My friend is not with us today. So Jeremiah says these words. The harvest is past. Summer is ended.
right now there's only less than 2% of all the natives in the country are Christians. It doesn't matter maybe to some of you, but to me it does. It's personal. There's 5 million native people that don't know the Lord. And when they die, they go into eternity never to come back again. There's no candle you can burn to get them out. There's nothing you can give somehow to bring them out. They need Jesus now. And when we get out, even though this the community you live in is so big, it's beautiful here. Aberdeen's beautiful. But understand this preacher this morning, there is a lot of people who need a Jesus right now. They need God. They need you and I to step up to the plate and be the person God's called us to be and witness to them and love them and be to live an exemplary life that they might understand who God is. To let God live through you and move through you. We need Jesus. America needs the Lord right now like never before. I've never seen this in all my days. I was listening to a preacher, somebody, a friend of mine, he's been doing this for 60-some years. He said, Joel, I've never seen this in my whole life. Did you know that this whole thing, matter of fact, this whole gay thing is, has to do with the end time stuff? The scripture says, as it was in the day of Lot, so shall it be before the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Lot was the time when the gay community demanded their rights. In Romans chapter 1, he says the same thing. Because they refuse to believe God and worship God, God gives them over. The wrath of God is revealed to, from heaven against those who would suppress the knowledge of God. God lets go. Our White House was draped in this stuff. Can you see it? Can you see what's happening right now? And you might say, yeah, but we're in South Dakota. I know, but I believe that the church everywhere would just hear the voice of God and call upon the Lord. You see, I still believe, I still believe that it's not too late yet for America. It's not too late yet for our families. It's not too late yet for our communities and for our world. God wants to do something beyond what you and I could ever ask or imagine. And if we would just call upon his name, that's what I learned from the Asbury Revival. A bunch of young girls, just simply two girls on a a Wednesday afternoon after a regular old chapel felt God pulling their heart to pray. How many of you guys knew what happened in Asbury? All these young people and these two girls after chapel was over it was just a regular chapel nothing to distinguish it above anything else and they said let's just stay and pray and they stayed and prayed and their prayer grew with intensity as the hours went by and some other students walked in they began to pray before you know it many from the campus were praying and then God showed up and then the world showed up and for 14 days all they did was worship God and pray and repent and God showed up what would happen if we did that? What would happen if the church decided to put aside her agenda and said, God, we need you. Oh, God, I can't go another day without you. Change my life. Change me. Every time we pray like that, he shows. None of our music is good enough. It's wonderful. Our preaching isn't enough. People want to meet Jesus. They don't need to hear Joel. They come to meet him.
this morning he's here. I'm going to ask if the worship team can come if you play that song um, when the music fades. I believe with all of my heart that, you know, God let me come. Last time I was here, it's like 15 years ago. I was skinnier. I actually looked more like Eric Estrada back then. Eh? <laughs> I, I could actually tuck my pant. I could actually tuck my shirt in. How many of you guys realize an untucked shirt is the last is the fat man's last hurrah? <laughs> and so here, here I am. <laughs> you know, it's been a while. I think the last time I preached here, Gar Pastor Gary was just just a young man. I still remember the windows out here. I was running all over the place back then. I had energy. Now I'm just taking. I'm I'm working myself. I'm sweating up here right now from preaching. I need, to, I need to drink some coffee when this is over. But I want to say this as we close. I believe that the Lord is, is here right now because we're here, right? I was in a meeting in, at Moody Bible Institute years ago. I was training for this program called Alpha. A guy named Nicky Gumbel was leading it. He was up in the front. Some of you guys maybe know about the program. I know him. Matt Hughes is leading worship and singing this song. Nicky, every word he spoke was so filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just sitting forward. I couldn't sleep through it. I was sitting way in the back because I wanted to be one of those guys. You know how they are. You, as soon as last day, man, you're out the door so you can get lunch. I, that's, where I, that's why I was doing it. So I was sitting way in the back. But he was so mesmerizing. The words he spoke were so filled with life. They called to something in you. He talked about a simple God who could do more than we ever imagined. And then he said, we're going to finish now with prayer, but we're going to do something that we do at Brompton Church in London all the time. We simply say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. And he said, over there, he said, usually if somebody invites you to dinner after church, and say, would you come over? They say, oh, yes, but they don't really mean it, and so never, nothing happens. But we're going to mean it. And what we found is when we ask Jesus, and we say, Holy Spirit, come, we really mean it, he comes. We've seen miracles. We've seen people healed, all kinds of stuff happening. God saving people like crazy. So we're going to ask him to come, and, and we'll watch what he does. So he stands there, and I'm, I don't even know what to think. So he prays this really simple prayer. Lifts his hands. Holy Spirit, come. And he puts the microphone down. And wave of the Spirit like I've never felt in a long time. Didn't start the front, it started the back. And it went back and forth and back and forth. People everywhere, Anglicans, Presbyterians, Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Nazarene, Assembly of God, Baptists everywhere in that room. There was no title. We just lifted our hands, began to worship, and we got lost. It went on for about an hour. We couldn't stop. It was just a simple song. And then a guy out of the blue, I never met him before, a tall gentleman. He was from Indiana. He might have been, I don't know what his Baptist background was, but he walks up to me, sir. And I'm sitting on the edge like you, way back there. 
And he makes his way all the way up to me, and he has this smile, man. It was just, I could feel the Lord. And he looked at me and said, hello. Can I pray for you? Okay. And he puts his hand on my shoulder. He doesn't talk loud. He doesn't embarrass me at all. He just began to whisper to my ear. He said, I don't know who you are, but you're a preacher, aren't you? You're praying for your children, and you're worried about them. I want to tell you something that Jesus has them in his hands. You're worried about your wife and your future. And the Lord wants you to know that you feel like an, an, angel, like a, an eagle whose wings are clipped, and he's going to restore your wings, and he's going to surround you with people, and you're going to fly again. Before the year's over, you're going to fly again. May the Lord bless you. And he walked away. He left me, and, and I just crumbled. I could, fell down to the ground. I wept and cried. I thought, God, how did he know? Because everything he prayed was something I never told anybody. God knew. God is here right now the same way you feel it for some of your eyes are tearing up you, you feel it strong man. he wanted me to tell you this morning he loves you he loves you and he's strong and he will never leave you and if you hold his hand, he'll lead and guide you through it all. He wants you not to be afraid or dismayed of what the world is happening, all that's happening in the world. Know for certain he's still the same God who speaks to winds and waves and they obey. And God can bring peace into the storm in my life and your life. He has never changed direction. He's never changed. He is still the same. Hallelujah. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. The rose of Sharon the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000, and the bright and the morning star. He is here, here, right now. I want to ask you to stand with me. I'm so sorry to go so long, guys. Please forgive me. You may be in a situation where you felt like, man, the things are, the things are, are not the way they should be. Maybe you have a burden for the country, a burden for your church, a burden for your community, for your family, your friends. It's not too late. Maybe you have a burden for your children. Maybe this morning you're that one. You've been in church. You're, you're here, but you don't really like to be here. But you're here. You're here because of expectations and maybe habits, but your heart is not where it used to be. He wants to let you know he loves you. This morning, he'll help you to repair, repair the breach. If you'd say, Pastor Joel, this spoke to my heart today. I want, you, I want you to come and stand with me. I'm standing for America. I'm standing for Oneida. I'm standing, we're standing for one another, for the church, for our families, for our children. You have children, husbands, wives, nieces, nephews, people, friends that don't know Christ. I'm asking you, would you come with me? Come and stand up here with me. We're going to pray together. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. That's okay. There's no reason to feel any fear or anxiety about it. 
You say, I need more of Jesus in my life, my marriage, my family. Would you, say, would you come? Would you come everywhere in the church? Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere from the top, the balconies. Don't be afraid. We'll wait for you. The Holy Spirit's here. He's here right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Gloria su nombre, Jesucristo. Gracias, Señor. Hallelujah, mi Padre. Hallelujah. Oh, Santo, 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 Jesus. Holy, holy are you, oh God. Hallelujah, everywhere. Come on, make a way. There's room for people behind you standing there. We make room for people everywhere. Everywhere in the church would you come. Hallelujah, this is a white ribbon day for, for Aberdeen Assembly of God. The Lord is wanting to put a fire. He wants to re-fire, to reignite fires everywhere in this house. In our hearts and in our lives, would you lift your hands as they begin to sing. Hallelujah, just begin to praise him and worship him. Even if you've never done that, you're not accustomed to praying out loud, just begin to slowly do it everywhere now. Lift your hands everywhere. Just lift your hands as a sign. Say, God, I lift up my hands empty. I need you. We're going to sing. seconds and I want you to pray for them just 
whatever the Spirit of God puts in your heart to pray for them, would you pray for them? Person to your left and to your right, if you don't know them, introduce yourself to them really quickly. Take a few moments. It doesn't matter if they're younger or they're older. It doesn't matter. Pray. It's okay. Pray one for another. Lord, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your love. Pour out your healing. All through this room, Lord God, everywhere, Lord God, everywhere, with every person, God. Oh, Lord, not only those standing, but those, Lord God, that are in the pews that couldn't even make it to the altars, God, everywhere in this house, oh, God. Oh, Lord God, manifest yourself. Reveal yourself to their heart, oh, God, today. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, ignite the fires and passion in our life, Lord God. Reignite the prayers, Lord God. Reignite our people, oh, God. Fill us with your spirit, God. Fill us with your strength and your courage and your love, oh, God. Give us your wisdom, oh, God. We need it today. Lord, come, oh, God. just pray for the Aberdeen First Assembly family right here. I lift up your people. Father, you see their hearts. You see their love and their commitment, their desire for you. Lord, meet them right where they are. Strengthen them today. and Fill them with your words and your hope. We love you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, and we need you. And we know that. We pray for our world and our country, God. We need it. We lift up, we lift up our government, God. Oh, God, help him, Lord. Help him, God. We pray for our president, Lord, our representatives, oh, God, those in the White House, Lord God, those in the governor's mansion, Lord, those as the mayors, God, the leaders of our nation and our countries and our community, our states, God. Touch them and help them, oh, God. We pray for pastors everywhere today. Lord, fill them with your hope, O oh God. Remove discouragement from them and weariness, God. Help them never to grow weary in well-doing, God. Fill them with your word, God. Fill them with hope again, Lord God, to trust in you, O oh God. Lord, we give all the results to you. We know that there's nothing too hard for you today. We love you and we thank you. I'd like you to pray this prayer with me all through the house. Would you say it aloud together with me? Dear Jesus, I love you. And I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges. Thank you, Lord God, for your blessings. Thank you for the hope that we still possess. I give you all of my life, all that I was, all that I am, and all that I ever will be. I give you my family and my friends. 
move in our church today. Help us, O oh Lord, that we finish our race strong, that our lives make a difference for all of eternity, that people will know you and they'll find you in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord a very good hand clap friend. Would you turn to five people? Turn to five people and say, I love you. Give them a high five, a fist bump, a knee bump, a hip bump. Tell them I love you and appreciate you. I'm going to give it over to Pastor. Thank you, guys. Oh, amen. Amen. Wasn't that good this morning? We needed to hear that. How many of you guys are ready to make a... You'd rather have significance than success. Um, I truly believe that this morning. We do that through the power of prayer. I love what God's doing at this altar. Just two quick things before you leave today. Uh, first off is this. If God laid it on your heart and you'd like to partner uh, with Pastor Joel's ministry, Pastor Joel and Sharon over in Oneida, uh, they're working on about an $8,000 project. Uh, so they can remake one of their rooms over and uh, make it usable again, make it safe again, uh, so they can have kids ministry in there. I uh, encourage you just mark Pastor Joel on there or mark Oneida on your offering. If you can drop it in the offering. So we'd love to have you partner with that. And, and we're just believing that God's going to do some great things. God's going to do great things. If you still need to spend some time at this altar, if you need to just make things right with God today, don't leave until you do. Spend some time. Find a spot. This place is for you. Let me just pray for you one more time. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing here at AFA. God, thank you for the word that was brought today. And, and Lord, we, we know that, man, the, that harvest is almost over. So God, may we run with endurance. God, may we live lives of significance. God, may we, we live lives directed towards you. We thank you. Be with us, Lord. Meet us at this altar. God, may we make a change in our community and the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today. We pray your blessing on you today. In Jesus' name.